Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would now give us wisdom and that you would make us Christ-like and Pauline in our thinking about how to be good citizens. Lord, we ask that you would cause us to feel gratitude and we pray that you'd give us an urgency about the gospel. Lord, give us hearts that long for the kingdom of Christ. Cause our treasures to be with Christ in his kingdom. Cause our hearts to be there, Lord. And we pray that that would result in much godliness in our lives now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand with me and open, if you would, to Romans chapter 13. We don't normally do this, but I'd like to ask you to stand, and I'm going to read the passage that I'm going to preach, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. These are controversial statements in the Bible, aren't they? Confrontational statements. And these are not written, these statements are not written by a man who doesn't know what injustice is. Consider the fact that the man who wrote those words, Paul, Romans 13, 1 through 7, he also wrote this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Do you know why he received five times, 40 lashes less one, because when it came to the governing authorities, the Jewish authorities saying, stop talking about Jesus, he starts talking like Acts 4.19, I must obey God rather than man. And so they lash him over and over. And in the next verse, verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. And that's, that's probably not done by Jewish people, that's probably done by Greco-Roman authorities. And again, we, we can read about things like this in, 
in Acts chapter 16, again, this, these are uproars and riots brought about because Paul is preaching this confrontational message that Jesus is Lord. And, and there's also this. It's, it's amazing that on the one hand, I think this is amazing, and, and, you know, if you just look at this at sort of a superficial level, if you just want to look at the surface of this, you might say, Paul, you contradict yourself. How, do, how does he contradict himself? Well, on the one hand, he says in Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. But it, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 32, listen to what he says here. At Damascus... The governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. They're trying to arrest him. And Romans 13.1 would seem to imply, you need to turn yourself in. That's not what Paul does. 2 Corinthians 13.33, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Why? Because the guy was opposed to the gospel. The guy was coming after Paul to stamp out the preaching of the gospel. And, and there's a principle, even in Romans 13, that we'll get to that, that, that gets at what would make it where Paul is not contradicting himself, what would give a rationale for Paul to say, on the one hand, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, and then on the other hand, for him to escape a wicked authority trying to stamp out the gospel, or for him to defy the commands of wicked authorities saying, stop talking about Jesus. We'll get to that principle, but already I think it's evident that Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 is not a, a sort of comprehensive and um, detailed, full theological statement of the Christian's relationship to the state, okay? In other words, in this passage, Romans 13, 1 through 7, Paul is not addressing every possible situation. The New Testament as a, as a whole has a lot to say about how Christians relate to the governing authority. And Paul is not going through all those things here in this passage. In this passage, Romans 13, 1 through 7, Paul is going to address what is normally the case, what should usually be the Christian's attitude and disposition toward the governing authorities. He's not covering every possible circumstance. And he's not, even, he's not even trying to summarize everything that the Bible teaches about how the people of God relate to governing authorities at, at this point in salvation history. But he does have very clear instructions that are relevant to our lives. So we'll see in this passage, Romans 13, 1 through 7, that in the first two verses, verses 1 and 2, he's going to say, you should submit to the authorities. You should submit to the governing authorities. And then in verses 3 through 5, I think the heart of those, those verses, verse th verses 3 through 5, is his statement of how the authorities should conduct themselves. The authorities should praise good and punish evil. And then in verses 6 and 7, Paul is going to teach believers that we should pay our taxes. So we'll walk through this passage together, and um, the, I, I trust that there's much here that we'll that will instruct and, and convict us. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. As I mentioned a second ago, the New Testament actually has a lot to say about how Christians relate to governing authorities. 
Back in Acts chapter 17, in keeping with what he says here in Romans 13, Paul says in Acts 17, 26, that God made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And then listen to this, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So in Acts 17, 26, Paul essentially asserts God has established the boundaries of every nation under heaven. And that's in keeping with what he says here in verse 1 of Romans 13 when he says, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Um, Peter teaches something very similar. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, Peter, like Paul, teaches Christians how they should relate to the governing authorities, and, and as here, so there, respect, obedience, submission, honor, all of these things come into play. Where did they get this idea? Where did Peter and Paul get the idea that believers should relate appropriately to the governing authorities? Well, as in our New Testament reading, we saw the Lord Jesus himself taught that people should pay their taxes. And the Lord Jesus himself paid taxes. You remember that occasion when uh, they asked Peter, does your master pay the tax? And he says, yes. And then he goes to Jesus. And before Peter ever opens his mouth, Jesus, is, Jesus says, this is very important for, for what we're going to see in this passage. Jesus says over in uh, Matthew 17, he says, what do you think, Peter? Uh, Simon, actually. From whom do the kings of the earth take a toll or tax? Now listen to these words. From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons, he's talking about the sons of the kingdom, sons of, of the, the rulers, the sons are free. And, and then when he goes on to say, however, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that, that comes up. And when you open his mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So Jesus pays taxes out of this supernatural money that he brings up out of the fish's mouth. But also, notice how he says, the sons are free, however, not to give offense. I think this implies that people like Peter and John and the other apostles and followers of Jesus are sons of the kingdom, the kingdom that is to come. And this is important for us because here Jesus is saying, your son, you belong to another kingdom, a future kingdom, where I'm going to reign as your king. But you need to relate appropriately to this kingdom. You need to be a good citizen of this kingdom in preparation for being a citizen of that kingdom. So I think Jesus, um, Peter and Paul get this from Jesus, that Christians should pay their taxes, that they should submit to the governing authorities, and, um, and, the, and that they should teach Christians. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, the apostle Paul tells Titus, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Similarly, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, uh, those who would be elders must be well thought of by outsiders. So, so you have to have a good reputation in, in the community. You have to be a good citizen. Serving Jesus, now, now in what I'm about to say, let me, let me try to set this up by, by anticipating a potential objection that might go like this. What about unjust 
governments. Was, was Paul, was he forgetting that governments are often unjust? Well, remember that Paul was beaten with rods himself, and Paul himself was going to be beheaded by the very government that he's calling Christians to, to submit to. And, and why did they behead him? Again, because he refused to obey man rather than God. And, and Paul served a master who was crucified as a criminal unjustly by the government that he's telling Christians to submit to. So it's not easy to be a Christian. It's complicated to be a Christian. You've got to hold difficult things together. The Roman Empire crucified Jesus, and Paul says, submit to the Roman Empire. Submit to the governing authorities. I think, again, the key here is, as long as the government is conducting itself as it should, and normally, normally, the government is not crucifying the Son of God. Normally, I mean, that only happened once, right? And normally, the government is not beheading the Apostle Paul. That did happen to him, but uh, for most of his life, he was, he was able to move through the Roman Empire, and he was able to proclaim the gospel. And for the most part, Christians were able to, as, as Paul speaks in 1 Timothy 2, to live peaceful and quiet lives, praying that the Lord would bless and save governing authorities so that the gospel could advance. So what is Paul really after here in Romans 13, 1 and 2? Well, I think on the one hand, he wants it to be clear to Christians that there's to be no anarchy. There, there are to be no anarchists who are Christians. Anar anarchy being a state of no government. We're, we're just going to throw off government altogether. And it's like Paul is saying, look, you, you, can't, you can't expect, in a fallen world with people that are depraved, you can't expect to live with no governing authorities. There are going to have to be some governing authorities, and you should be subject to those governing authorities. And then here, here's what I think is really ultimately driving this. What's ultimately driving this is this is part of what it looks like to be a living sacrifice seeking to make the gospel attractive, seeking to advance the kingdom of Jesus by winning people to Christ. I think that's Paul's ultimate concern. He wants Christians, notice, notice he's not saying to these Christians in Rome, all of you people need to abandon your vocation, your calling in life, and go to the unreached. No. He's telling them, you need to submit to the gov governing authorities. And, and I think, that, again, the driving motivation here is we want to live peaceful and quiet lives. You want to pray for the authorities. You want to be a good citizen so that you can win people to Christ. So no, no anarchy and a concern for the gospel. And that brings us to verse 3. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Oh, sorry, I need to, I need to just observe in verse 2. Uh, I, verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. This means that if you do pursue anarchy, you are resisting God's ordained authority in the world. Now, I want to make a, a very clear distinction 
between those who are pursuing the kingdom of Christ, like Paul was when he fled from the governor and when he refused to obey, like Peter and James were, Peter and John were, sorry, in Acts chapter 4, when they said we must obey God rather than men. We want to make a clear distinction between serving Christ directly and people who go their own way in resistance of the government. Have you, have you ever heard of the Hutt River province? This is ridiculous. This is crazy. But I am not making this up. This is a real thing. When, when Jed and I were in Malaysia, we, were, we, we, re, we heard about the principality of Hutt River. I'm just going to read you a little bit from the Wikipedia entry about the principality of Hutt River. Uh, this is an unrecognized micronation in Australia. You know what it is? It's some guy that decided he didn't like the Australian government, so he declared that his land was a sovereign nation that, and that he had seceded from Australia. This is ridiculous. He sa it says it was founded on 21 April 1970, and then it gives the location of this place in Western Australia. It's out in the middle of nowhere. And then listen to this. It is not recognized as a country by the Australian government or any other national government. And the High Court of Australia and Supreme Court of Western Australia have rejected submissions arguing that it is not subject to Australian laws. This guy decided he didn't like the government's laws and he didn't want to pay the government's taxes and so he declared that he had seceded from the Australian government. And then, and then, a few years later, this, this fellow that did this, he began styling himself as Prince Leonard. You know, he just gives himself this noble, noble title and granting family members royal titles. Although, and and it, it goes on to describe this guy. You know, you know what I think is ridiculous about this? That the Australian government let it go on. I, I mean, I, I don't know why they did. I don't know if they thought, oh, this is, an, this is a harmless curiosity. But they have sued the guy for over $2 million in unpaid taxes. But they haven't just gone and arrested him and put an end to this. Uh, but, so that's forbidden. You can't decide... I don't think I like the government's taxes, so I'm just not going to pay them, and I'm going to declare myself a sovereign lord of the state of my property. You, Paul is saying that's not an open option for you. And then, you know, there are other less um, uh, funny examples of people who are in rebellion or who are committing crimes, and Paul is saying, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. This is a man who knew injustice in response to the gospel. And he's saying, if you res if, and I think he would say, except in the case of the gospel, it, unless you are directly obeying God rather than man, if you are resisting the authorities, you are resisting God. I think this has profound implications for us as we interpret the world that's going on around us. If, if we are not directly serving God and we are resisting the authorities, we are resisting God. Verse 3, verses 3 through 5, Paul's going to explain this. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. Now, there's a very important principle here. Notice that the authority should give approval to those who are doing good. 
and the authority should punish those who are doing bad. Now, for Paul, doing good is going to include everything that the Bible says people should do, including making God known. Doing bad is going to be defined by the Bible. Now, lots of people in the world today are trying to redefine that, and they're trying to say doing what the Bible commands is actually bad, and doing wickedness is actually good. And that's not, Paul's not working with those false definitions of things. Paul is saying authorities should reward good conduct, and they should uh, discipline or, or reprove bad conduct. And, and good and bad are defined by the Scriptures. So if you find yourself in the place of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what Denny read earlier from Daniel chapter 3, and the king says, what's good for you is to bow to my idol, you should not submit to that. Um, Paul is aware, Paul's going to write in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 of the way that it looks like a government functionary, maybe the emperor or the king or something like this, he's going to set himself up as God. And he's going to demand that people worship him. And Paul's going to identify that guy as the Antichrist. Clearly, Paul doesn't want anyone to submit to the Antichrist when, the, when he takes over. We could say, say the same thing from Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation 13, as John describes this, this beast who is the, the servant of Satan, it's like he's describing the Antichrist, and it's, it really sounds like the governor. It sounds like Nero. And, and clearly, Paul and John don't want people to subject themselves to the government when the government starts acting like the Antichrist. So, so again, we're having to hold together things the way that things normally are. You should act like, the, like a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. But if, if the kingdom starts to oppose God, then you obey God rather than men. Verse 4. Paul says, for he, this is the government official, the authority, the ruler, is God's servant. That's the word deacon. He's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Um, these guys in, in, our, in our country, these guys carry guns. They carry sticks. And, and even in Paul's day, the sword was a... a weapon used to kill people. It was, it was used for executions. So deadly force is, is in the hand of the governing authority. And Paul is saying, I think, God has given governments the ability to use deadly force, if necessary, to punish evil. Paul goes on here in verse 4. He is also the servant, again, of God. There's deacon again. My kids loved this next phrase, an avenger. You know, they, everybody starts giggling when we're reading this in family devotions. Where's, where's the Hodges? He knows what I'm talking about. The avengers. Yeah, that's what the, okay, he, he's an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. I submit to you that this is what the government should do. The government should approve of, of good, Praise those who do good and punish those who do wrong. And, and I think that Paul, he's not going into a, a whole philosophy of government here, but he is articulating a very important principle. This is what the government should be doing. 
And then he says in verse 5, concluding from this, therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So you don't want to experience the wrath of the government, and you also want to have a clean conscience before God, for the sake of your conscience before God, for the sake of your conscience before Christ. You don't resist the government. You want to have a good reputation with outsiders. You want to, this is a way for you to present your body as a living sacrifice, not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and part of that transformation means I'm thinking about Christ and his kingdom. And one day, Jesus is going to be king, and he will be the, the best king the world has ever seen. And I'm in training now as a citizen here to be a citizen of that kingdom. And I'm going to relate to my government now, unless it calls me to do something that God has forbidden, unless it... It calls me to oppose God or oppose the gospel. I'm in training now to be a good citizen of the kingdom of heaven. There, there are kingdoms in the world today who do not acknowledge God and who actively seek to make themselves the supreme authority in the lives of their citizens. And in those kingdoms, Christians must obey God rather than men. And, and you know, if, if you're paying attention to the news, things that are going on in the world right now, you know that things are happening in Hong Kong. There, there are protests because the government of, of China is saying that people who live in Hong Kong uh, are going to lose certain freedoms that they have enjoyed to this point. And those people in Hong Kong, they're resisting this. They're protesting this. I think they're right to protest. I think they're right to stand up for their rights because if they don't, people are just going to disappear. People are just going to be removed and, and there won't be trials. And, and that totalitarian state, that totalitarian state doesn't want anything, any authority higher than itself. It doesn't want God's authority to be higher than itself. And those kinds of states, um, Christians must say, we will obey God rather than men. And I think also, as we work for uh, justice in our society, and as we work for justice in the world, we should say we want what's good for other people. We want other people to have freedom to worship God, to know God. And if you ask me about this country, I would say that um, I think that the preamble of the United States Constitution is actually a, a really good statement of what a government should do. I'm going to read it to you. This is the preamble of the United States Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That's a, that's a good statement of what a government should do. You might say to me, well, they say they're going to establish justice, and they've failed, to which I would say, okay, our practice has not been as good as our principle. Let's work to bring the practice in line with the principle. But it's a good principle. It's a good statement of what a government should do. And then if you were to ask me, well, what about the, the uh, revolution that resulted in this country? 
Weren't we supposed to be subject to the governing authorities? Well, what I would say is, um, when's the last time you read the Declaration of Independence? I think it's actually a very sophisticated statement, and it's interesting. It's not, if you go back and read that, as I did this morning, it, it's not uh, inflammatory language. They're actually, the, the first, the, as they go to list out their grievances against the King of England, the first thing they say is that he's failed to establish laws that we need. So essentially what they're faulting the King of England for is not governing. And, and, and as they go through the thing, what they're saying is, we want a government, we want laws, and the king won't establish laws that we need. And so, um, you know, we, we could have a long conversation about American history. Again, I think that in the Declaration of Independence, there are good principles there that maybe we failed to live up to at certain points, but let's bring our practice into line with the good principles. I think these are, these are, these are good statements about why a new nation should be, a new government should be formed. And again, they're not saying we want no government. They're saying uh, we, we actually want a government. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because of what the next two verses say in verses 6 and 7. Because the next two verses are going to talk about paying taxes. And so what I'm telling you is I think that we actually, it's maybe easier for us in our culture to embrace this, is, this may sound like a crazy thing for me to say. I, I almost can't believe I'm saying this. It's probably easier in our culture for us to embrace the opportunity to pay taxes than it has been for, any, for most other cultures in the history of humanity. Look at verse 6. For because of this, for the sake of conscience, to avoid God's wrath, because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. That word ministers there is a word, um, it, you, it, it's a word that if we, were to, if we were to use a phrase like liturgical servants, you get that word liturgical in here for, for ministers. They're, they're um, ministers of God attending to this very thing. It's like they've devoted themselves, this is the ideal, I think, they've devoted themselves to the promotion of good, the prohibition of bad, and, and this is so that people can live peaceful and quiet lives for the common defense, uh, to ensure the blessings of liberty, this kind of thing. And what I'm saying to you is I think it's a lot easier for us to embrace this than it was for Paul in, in the Roman Empire. That was a bad place to live, you know? Uh, I think as a, as a follower of Jesus, every, if I had to pay taxes to the Romans, every time I would give that money over, I would probably think something like, I am funding the government that crucified Jesus. This is really hard for me to get my head around. Um, and, and, you know, maybe there are similar difficulties that you have as a result of your background or as a result of, of your identity that make it difficult for you to embrace this government. And, and what I would say is simply, um, this is what the Word of God commands us to do. It commands us to pay taxes. And as, di as difficult as it might be for us, I think it was harder, perhaps, for Christians in the Roman world, and I think it's probably been harder, perhaps, for our brothers and sisters around the world in other governments that, that don't allow for, I mean, our, our Constitution makes provision for an assembly like this to meet. It grants us this authority. And as I was reading about these, these protests in Hong Kong, that's one of the things that people don't have a right to do. They don't have the right to assemble themselves. They don't, the government does not grant them that right. We, we enjoy remarkable freedoms. Because of this, you also pay taxes. 
For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. And as a result, Paul commands in verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I think this says that we are not only to pay our taxes, and you know, you've got two statements here, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and if you look into the, the meaning of that word revenue, it, it, it's something like a toll, perhaps. So you've got a tax that's going to be taken on maybe your income or something like that, and then you've got tolls that you're going to pay, let's say, for crossing a bridge. And, and Paul is saying you shouldn't try to steal from the government. If the government has paid for something like this and they've instituted that, that this is in place, you need to pay the tax. Years ago when I was a, a PhD student, um, um, a friend of mine was working a job that, where his income was not reported and we were members of the same church. And um, it, it got around to tax season and I said to him, have you filed your taxes? And he said, I'm not filing taxes. That's not the government's money, that's my money. I said, uh, brother, Romans 13, 6 and 7 is pretty clear. You know, Paul is just explicit. You need to pay your taxes. And uh, we, our conversation went on a few minutes, and before long, he just hung up on me. And, and I, I called him back, and I said, listen, um, I know you don't like this, and I know there's reasons that people may have for complaining about this or thinking it's too high or whatever, but the Bible is really clear about this. You need to pay your taxes. And he said, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And I said, okay, well, then this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go call Pastor Mark, and we're going to come see you, or we're going get, to get on the phone with you or whatever, and we're just going to go through the steps of church discipline. Because if you're not going to obey the Bible, you, you're not a Christian. And he hung up on me again. And then about an hour later, he called me, and he said, I just want you to know that I just went down to the local office, and I filed my tax return. Um, so, you know, the, the scriptures are clear for us, and... and some things we just want to embrace these things and we want to obey these things. We want to be good citizens of this kingdom anticipating the kingdom of heaven. So um, last thing here at the end of verse 7 when it says respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Um, the reality is that the Emperor Nero was a deplorable person. He was a person who he gave himself to his appetites. He was, not, he was not a respectable person. He was not an honorable person. And Paul is saying, I think, something like, because of his position, you should respect him and you should honor him. And then you could go down through the government. I mean, I, I read to you last week about government officials in Rome, how they're, they're uh, maybe it was Romans 12, I can't remember when, recently, these statements of these guys openly boasting of their accomplishments. These, these are not guys that we would look at and say, look how virtuous they are. No, these are guys that are self-seeking, self-promoting, they're because of the, the nature of Roman culture, they're openly boastful about what they've done, they think it's virtuous to boast about what they've done, and Paul is saying... If they're in a certain position of authority, respect to whom respect is due, 
honor to whom honor is due. And I think that it's incumbent upon us today, if we look at a politician and we think, what a wretched person, and there's lots of them that we might respond to that way. Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. This does not, and it wouldn't for Paul, mean I'm going to obey that guy rather than God. No, clearly. We see from Paul's own example. It does not mean I'm not going to call sin, sin. Obviously not. It does not mean I don't think that guy needs Jesus. Obviously he needs Jesus. And Paul is saying, pray for those guys. That they might be saved. Because there's one God, he goes on to say in 1 Timothy 2, there's one God and there's one Savior between God and man. And those guys need him. So, you don't deny your fundamental commitments to God, to Jesus, to righteousness, if you show respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. So, to summarize, let me give you, let me give you four applications here. Application number one, um, I think the Bible, I think Romans 13, 1 through 7, prohibits Christians from being anarchists. So, no anarchists, sorry. You can't take the position, that, that's out. That option is off the table. You cannot, you cannot take the position that says, um, I'm going to be someone who advocates that there be no government and that people just do whatever they want to do in freedom. That's, that's not an option for us. Number two, you have to pay your taxes. And, I mean, it's not like taxes in ancient Rome were fair and just, okay? So, and, and really what... What set this guy, you know, the uh, prince, uh, whatever his name was, of uh, Hutt River province, what set him off was his rejection of uh, the Australian government's tax schemes. Um, that's not, we can't have any tax evaders. If you're a Christian, you relate to the government appropriately, you pay your taxes. Um, number three, I think that all of this is premised on the idea that we want to be good citizens of this kingdom, anticipating the kingdom. So we want to practice being a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus in the imperfect kingdoms of this age. And then, um, as another sort of application of that, that doesn't mean that we're unfaithful to our true kingdom. Paul, uh, Philippians 3, what we opened the service with, our citizenship is in heaven, and we, we await we're faithful to that kingdom. And if that makes us unfaithful to this kingdom, so be it. We obey God rather than men. And then fourth and finally, Christians should be respectful people who show respect to whom respect is due and honor to whom honor is due. And, and in our social media age, in the kinds of things that are said on Twitter, in the kinds of things that we say to one another, we want to bear this in mind. We should be respectful not necessarily because the guy's respectful. He might not be. I'm thinking of one in particular who isn't, and yet we must respect him and show him honor. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in your mercy you allow us to be exposed to the teaching of Romans. Lord, we praise you that in your goodness and kindness to us, you caused the gospel message to come as far as us and that it brought with it 
literacy. It brought with it all the things that, that go in the wake of missionaries, schools and hospitals. Lord, we praise you for the impact of the gospel in the world. And Lord, we praise you for the way that you have blessed us with the opportunity to live in this, in this governmental arrangement that makes it so that most of us in this room learn to read as a courtesy of the government. And most of, this, most of us in this room have enjoyed freedom and safety from, from foreign armies, from terrorists, from, from people of ill will of all kinds, because the government funds a military that protects us, that secures our borders, and that takes great risks to to make it so that we can live these peaceful and quiet lives that we enjoy. Lord, we thank you for all your kindness to us, and we pray that you would uh, keep us from thinking that this is it. Um, you're, you're really good at that. We, we know this is not the kingdom. We know this is not the millennium. Lord, we want to be grateful, but we want to be those who know that we're not home. And we pray, Father, that you'd cause us to identify primarily as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. Make that our identity, we pray, and cause that to transform our approach to paying taxes, to responding to despicable people who are in positions of authority over us. And Lord, we pray that you would cause the gospel to thrive and prosper because of the way that we pursue being good citizens. We pray that you would help us to be reasonable voices in our culture, and we pray that you would help us to communicate gratitude and joy and the love of Christ, the, the wonder that you have made it so that your wrath is satisfied through the death of Jesus on the cross, and his resurrection makes it so that death is overcome. Lord, we pray that you would give us many opportunities to proclaim that good news, and we pray that those opportunities might even come as a result of the way that we speak to others about the government or relate to the government ourselves. Lord, we ask that you would cause the gospel to thrive and flourish and bear fruit in our day. And Lord, we pray that it would do so here at Kenwood. We pray that people would come to know you because of the way that we present ourselves to you as living sacrifices, refusing conformity to the world and being transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus. We love you and we pray that you would do all these things and much else. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.